Good morning, everybody who's sitting here on blue chairs at 498 White Plains Road. Good morning to everybody who's sitting on whatever awesome chair you're sitting on out there at your house this morning. We're glad no matter where you are that you guys are carving out some time, whether here on Sunday morning live in the room, on screen, or later in the week. I know a bunch of folks check us out. Um, so it's great to have everybody with us. Uh, as, you, as he introduced himself, man, that was Emmanuel. He's the chair of our elder team and just grateful for um, his service and his heart and his great desire that we as a church will focus on Jesus and his sufficiency and, and who he is. And so uh, glad that he had a chance to lead us this morning. And it was encouraging to me and I hope encouraging to you, just reminding us about Jesus and what he is and who he is and what he offers when it seems that there's a lot that is not certain to be reminded as we are each week in worship of the certainty of Jesus. It's a great thing. A couple of quick housekeeping uh, things before we move into what God has for us in his word, just to reiterate what we said in an email. Um, our fall plans are largely cemented. The surveys we sent out, like we've said, have been really helpful. We're in the final stages of going to digest those. But we're going to communicate to you uh, around September 17th what things look like in the fall. We're waiting a little bit intentionally. It's not because we're trying to figure it out. It's because we thought for a bunch of our families at school, if you're anything like my family, I have more emails about what my kids are supposed to do when they start, start school this week. I, like, I don't even know, right? I, I have a few different degrees and I'm trying to figure it out. And we know some families just started their kids last week. Other families are starting their kids this week. And there's a lot of swirl for families who are doing that, trying to make sure this virtual, hybrid, online, blah, with the kids. So we thought, you know what, let's give our people of Calvary just a chance to exhale for about 10 days and get the school thing rhythm going. And then we'll share with you how we're excited to start to uh, continue to serve your family and how your family can now engage here at Calvary again in the fall and what that looks like with our ministries resuming and how they're resuming and plans. So we'll do a video announcement coming out around September 17th. Our fall launch uh, is going to be different, um, but the ministry cycle is going to kick off September 27th. Um, we'll have two services that Sunday. Ministries will resume that week, and we'll let you know all about that. But there are plans. We're going to catch your breath to figure out Google Classroom. And once you have Google Classroom figured out, we'll let you know how we'd love to serve you here at Calvary Church. And one of the things we want to do is not just to serve your families. One of our huge values is to serve our community and surrounding communities. It's been part of Calvary's DNA for 130 years. And we're in a unique season where we have to do that differently. We are not able to have 300 plus kids in this building for Summer Spectacular, which is a huge outreach to our community. And so as we shared this past week in that email, one of the things we want to do as a means to outreach is uh, some of you and some of our team has heard about families whose both parents work. And they're trying to figure out, man, what do we do when both of us are working as parents and our kids have to do virtual learning? And they're trying to put together these little learning pods with parents will rotate and we are are thinking and realizing and aware that some of those people may not have a space to do that. And so what we've done is God has given us a great facility and we want to steward that well for the good of your families, but also for the good of families who are not yet here at Calvary and who need to see Jesus love. So like we said, we vote where we're, man, we're going to open up a few of our classrooms during the week for parents first in Trumbull because we're in Trumbull. And if there's not a huge demand here, we'll stretch it out. But for families that are like, man, I got some kids and I got some parents. Who are I just don't have space in my kitchen table to do this as my kids go to Trumbull schools or other schools virtually. So we want to make that space available and show them, man, we got a building that we want to use to show love to you for the glory of Jesus. So we're excited about that opportunity. And depending on the impact, if there's ways to engage you, we'll let you know that. But just a few quick things we want to let you know what's going on and then be watching for that video announcement about what will be going on. 
and what God is doing this fall. But we're excited, and I'm excited about what he has for us this morning in Ephesians. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Father, uh, thank you just for the reminders this morning about your strength and your sufficiency, and that you're our salvation, and that it's not our own efforts and our own ability to muster up encouragement for ourselves sometimes or courage, but it's Christ who works through us, and it's Jesus through the Spirit that fills us and gives us your strength, and uh, we're grateful for that. And so, Father, as we all face a fall, as we all face what this next week has, and as we come to your text, Father, I'm thankful it's your strength that takes this through your Spirit and touches our lives with it. And so you wanted people a long time ago to know certain things in the moment and they lived, and those things are still as important for us today. And so through your Spirit, will you take your truths and press them into our hearts this morning so that we live well for you, depending on you well, for your glory. And we'll thank you for this, and we pray this in the name of our King, who is reigning, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, 2020, right? We've all seen the memes We've all heard the comments, but uh, 2020, and not the Barbara Walters TV show that some of us will know and others are like, bro, what are you talking about? Man, 2020 has been kind of a unique year, to say the least, right? 2020 has been a unique year, and this morning, if you were to just, whether you would text it to me, because Emmanuel is giving texting permission today, whether you would write it on a piece of paper, if you were to write down a few bullet points about 2020, what, what would those things B, how would you describe that if this morning you were to write down a few bullet points about just the political climate and the political temperature in our country as we're a month or so away from an election, what would some of the words you would use to describe that? If you were to describe the situation between people of different color and different races and different backgrounds, what words would you use to describe that, if you were to describe how your family's doing financially, what worries you have, if you were to describe thoughts about a pandemic, if, if you were to write down a few bullet points about in 2020 what you think evangelical Christianity, if you think what Christians look like in 2020, what, what would some of those bullet points be as you try to encapsulate what have been a very interesting eight or nine months, how would you try to wrap your arms around what you are facing in this moment? And no matter what would be on your text or your piece of paper or your iPad or whatever, right? As you'd look at that list of how you describe today, how you describe what's around you, the overarching question for us really in the midst of that whole list of things, the overarching question should be this, in the midst of all of that, for those of us who are Christ followers, how does God want us to live? Not, not how do our emotions tell us to live, not how do we live in reacting to certain things other people are doing, not how does social media tell us to live. The question is, no matter what's on your list, if you're a Christ follower, what we should be thinking about every morning is, okay, in the midst of this, how does God want me to live? In broad strokes, that's the exact question that the people who thousands of years ago in a church, in a huddle, in a small group of people, this letter of Ephesians would have been read to them. And it would have been a question that they were asking with the different things that they were facing in their life. How does God want us to live in the culture in which they found themselves in this letter that they would have been listening to was to help them address those questions. A guy who was a church planter, a pastor named Paul, as we've said, wrote this letter 
Most conservative scholars say that the letter was written about 60 or 62 years after Jesus. Right, so we're going to just pick for the sake of argument. <clears throat> Don't like Wikipedia me on it. I know that, I trust me, I know there's like 42 different theories. We're going to pick 62 AD as the writing of this letter. And in 62 AD, what we need to remember is the Bible is written. I think sometimes we can think that this is just kind of writings, right? Just kind of like the, it, it's out there, it's, it's untethered. It's just, but, but the Bible is always written to real people. This book is always written to real people, to moms trying to figure out how to raise their kids, to dads trying to put food on their table, to children with dreams about what the future was like, to people who were facing death, to people whose health was great, people who wanted better jobs or different jobs or didn't have jobs. No matter what the century, this book is written to real people just like you and just like me who were facing real things and real struggles. And in 62 AD, if before the pastor of the church of Ephesus kicked off the service, if he said to the people in that church, hey, before I read you this letter here in 62 AD, I want you to text me. He wouldn't have said text me, I know that. I want you to like do some hieroglyphics. Right? I want you to write down, what is life in 62 AD like? <clears throat> so let me kind of just tell you some of the bullet points they may have written down. Let me tell you some things that they were facing politically and socially because we're not the only people who are walking through moments that seem a little strange trying to figure out what to do. If they were to write down what they were facing in 62 AD, they would write down the fact that Nero, a guy named Nero, was their political leader. He was 22 years old at the time, if we're picking 62 AD, for writing. He took over the throne, well not the throne, but the, the emperorship because most likely his mom poisoned the guy who had that role before him. Two years before Paul would have written this, then Nero, as a 20-year-old, started to get freaked out that his mom wanted the power, and so he had his mom killed. If we pick 62 AD as the year this was written, in that very year, Nero was afraid that his wife was trying to take control, and he had her violently killed. In two years from the date of this writing, he's going to start this political initiative where Christians need to be arrested and killed. And in the moment when this letter was written, their pastor was sitting in house arrest under Nero's right, rule. And the Christians were trying to figure out, right, if they got together over coffee, they, they might have some things to say about what they were facing politically with this guy, and they're trying to figure out what do we do and socially we talked about it when we kicked this off. There were two groups of people in their society, two different races that couldn't stand each other. And there was animosity and there was tension. There were all these worldviews that they were trying to process about what is true and what is real and what is right and what you should believe. And, and these were real people with all of those things back then. And the question they would have asked is with everything that they had on their piece of paper, how does God want them to live? How does God want them to live? How does God want us to live? That's what Ephesians addresses. What in different moments in culture, no matter what the moment, what is a church? What are we supposed to look like corporately and individually with the people who were facing all of that chaos back in 62 AD? And when you're facing whatever you're facing in 22 in 2020, what are you supposed to look like 
as a Christian? What does a church look like, right? What, is, what do we look like? And the big idea in Ephesians is this, this idea of unity. What Paul wanted these people to understand is Christians in 62 AD, with all the stuff that you're facing and the pressures and the variables, be unified. And what the application for you and for me today is Calvary. With everything we're facing, be unified. The first part of Ephesians, what we kicked off with for the first several weeks, is this kind of theological focus on what unifies us. That as Christians, we're unified by Jesus. There's so many things that divide us, but we kind of need to throw that out the door because it's not about what divides, it's about what unifies. And then we've moved into now, kind of the last few chapters of Ephesians, not theological truths about unity, but really, really practical, simple things you learned in kindergarten type things about how you and I together are supposed to live and how you're supposed to live. And this morning we're going to see some, some just really clear commands about how God wanted these people to live back then and about how God wants us to live. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, as we continue to go verse by verse through this thing. Two commands about how we live in the moment in which we find ourselves. And listen, you may hear these, and this do not let the simplicity of these cause you to ignore the importance of these. If you're looking for something novel before that you've never heard in church, today's not the Sunday to come. Because today you're going to hear something that you've heard lots of times in church, but just because you've heard it lots of times doesn't mean that it's not critically important for you and for me this time when we hear it. Two commands, Ephesians 5.1. First one says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. He's writing to them a long time ago. Us, hey, this morning, be imitators of God. That word imitate, it's this idea of copying the characteristics of another person. Copy the characteristics of another person, the way that person acts, the way that person does things. Here's the first big command individually for us this morning is this. Live a life that reflects God. Live a life that reflects God. Imitate. So, so how does imitation happen? Well, probably something you know, right? Many times, the more we spend time with somebody, the more we kind of start to imitate them. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen somebody who becomes friends with somebody else, and after about a year of that friendship, they start using that person's phrases, right? Like, let's go! And you're like, bro, you don't say that. That's what Billy says, and now you're saying it every day. I am a Fairfield County boy. I was bred on Dunkin' Donuts and greasy good pizza. I went to school in South Carolina, okay? Man, about six months later, after being around 99% Southern folks, I was yawling with the best of them, right? Taking on those characteristics. Maybe if you're yeah, 42 or older, and you're, you're married, and you're married to someone 42 or older, and one day you look at them or they look at you and they say to you, that's exactly what your mother does, right? Have you ever noticed as some of us get older, we, we kind of hold our posture or make comments or use phrases that our parents made, that the reality is the more that we're rubbing shoulders with somebody, the more that we're spending time with somebody, the more that we're in the presence of somebody over a long stretch of that interaction and that relationship, we start to imitate them. We start to become like them. And so, you know what? The more time we spend with God, 
the more that infuses and helps us begin to take on his characteristics and his perspectives and his attitudes. Do you want your life to reflect God? Well, if you do, we've got to be spending time with God. And I don't mean out of just duty. I love how Chris a few weeks ago unpacked spiritual disciplines and the pros and cons. We need to be spending time with God, looking at God, and then trusting the Holy Spirit in those moments to do his work in our lives to start to transform us to God. You know how I know that's what we need to do? Because that's what God says we need to do. If you ever wonder about, man, how do I grow to be more like Jesus? You need to write down this great verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's what we're talking about. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from this comes from the Lord who is spirit. What that great verse is saying is this, the more we spend time looking at God, the more we spend time thinking about the glory of God and we're in that place, through that, the Holy Spirit works to start to transform me and start to transform you more into the image of Jesus and more to the characteristics of God. What he wanted these people to know a long time ago with everything that they were facing, with groups of people that hated each other, with all sorts of uncertainty politically, with all sorts of views about what is true and what is real and what's made up nonsense that your grandma taught me, he said, guys, get up tomorrow morning and amidst it all, you open up your door, you step outside, and you live a life that reflects me. And if you want to live a life that reflects me before you step outside or at some point, you got to be spending some time with me and thinking about me and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you. That's the first command. What's the second thing that God wanted them to do in their moment and God wants us together to do in our moment and God wants you to do in the moment. It's the next part of the next clause of verse two and it says this. First part, first command, be imitators of God. Second one, and walk in love. Walk in love. Walk, walk. It's a command. It's this tense, describes this regular ongoing course of behavior. Our loving of people isn't to be the exception to the rule, right? The fact that we love somebody isn't to be the exception of the rule. That's to be the regular pattern of your life. And not just the pattern of your life on a Sunday morning, whether you're sitting here or whether you're at home going to church, right? It's not the Sunday morning thing that we love each other on Sundays and we do this is everything, all the time. What I'm to be defined by, what you're to be defined by, what we together are to be defined by is walking in love. Here's the second command. Super, super simple to say. Really, really challenging to do. Live a life of love. Really. So simple. Probably for some of us, live a life of love. Got it. No, 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 no. God wants me. 
God wants you. God wants you at home. God wants us to live a life of love. He's telling these Christians a long time ago, guys, when you walk out the door, not only do you live a life that reflects God, but when you open up your door tomorrow morning and you go to work, you go to school, you go to wherever, you do whatever, love. Love. You know, it's interesting, love, this is a super short book, Ephesians, I know we're taking a while, but love is mentioned 20 times in this book. If you were to add up all the time that Paul mentions love, all discussions, two-thirds of the mentions of love in all of Paul's letters are found in Ephesians. He's hammering the thought of love. That's because in this particular moment, God wanted these Christians to love each other because he knew that love would bring about unity. And he wanted this church to remain unified in the face of what they were facing. And love was a key factor to help that happen. And in the culture in which they lived with the chaos going on, man, he was deeply desiring them to love the people around them because what the culture around them needed to know was God. And that love would reflect and would point them to God. In this moment... In this moment, with whatever's on your little piece of paper about what you're facing, you know how God wants you to live? He wants you to live a life that reflects God, and he wants you to live, and he wants me, and he wants us to live a life of love. Live a life that reflects God. Live a life of love. Me, you, uh. So the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing? And we could now spend the the moments we have left, and we could kind of spend a lot of time thinking about whether Christians as a whole are doing a good job with this. Is evangelical Christianity in 2020, our churches, our Christians, are they doing a good job reflecting God? Are they doing a good job loving? We could pontificate and think about, man, if those Christians would only do this differently, that would be better. If those Christians, if those churches, if these evangelical leaders would live this way, they would reflect love better. They would reflect God better. But you know what? To spend a few minutes thinking about how a bunch of other people are doing, I don't know if that really is the most helpful. Kind of dodges the question, right? It's super easy for you and I this morning to be critical of a bunch of other Christians. Man, that's easy, right? There is no... I think all of us have the gift of being critical of other people. We may, we may stifle it, but if I said, give me all the ways you think a bunch of other Christians aren't living well, that would be an easy discussion. But you know what? I don't know if it's ultimately that profitable a discussion. I don't know if it's really that time well spent because we can't control how other Christians live. We can't control what other churches are doing or saying. But you know what? We can control us. And this morning, you may think, man, all evangelical Christianity is reflecting God well in 2020. Or you may think evangelical Christianity is not reflecting well God, God well in 2020. You may think evangelical Christianity is showing so much love in the midst of our culture. You may think evangelical Christianity is not showing so much love in the face of our culture. But neither of those opinions help move you forward or help move me forward. What moves you forward and what moves me forward and what moves us forward is considering this. Are you 
reflecting God well today? Am I reflecting God well today? Are you loving other people here at Calvary well today? Am I loving other people here at Calvary well today? Are you just loving other people generally well? Am I doing that? Criticizing other groups that we think could or could do better, honestly, who cares? How am I doing? How are you doing? Really? How well are we doing this? Because we, like the Christians in AD 62, today in 2020, we live in a culture that needs to see the hope of Jesus. And they're going to look to me, and they're going to look to you, and they're going to look to us together to help shape what they think about Jesus and what we say about this book. So, so what does loving others well look like, right? I mean, yeah, that we, we, I mention love a lot, and we talk about how it can just be this fluffy, kind of like nice little e-card we send to each other with a unicorn and a rainbow on it. But what does what loving people well look like? Well, man, the cool thing is Paul gives us this pattern. Paul gives us a template. On my, anybody here do puzzles? Okay, a few people. Puzzles are cool. I'm not a big puzzle guy. I think... I don't know. I'm not gifted in it, so I don't like it. Man, my wife loves puzzles, right? One of her favorite things to do when we get away on vacation is puzzles. Right now, we have had a puzzle pandemic moment. Uh, We have two puzzles on our dining room table at different stages of assembly, which is cool. Um, But when you open up a puzzle box, man, there's just pieces scattered everywhere. It looks chaotic, right? You you have those scattered on your table, and you may be, how do you know what that's supposed to look like? You know because there's the box. And the box shows you when all that's put together what it's supposed to look like. Well, Paul gives us the box here. He gives us the template. He gives us the picture. And here's the pattern he gives us, right? Walk in love, and then here comes the pattern. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, live a life of love, and the love that you're to live is to be the same love that Jesus had for us and for others, and he gave himself. Jesus' love is the pattern. What this verse shows is a few things about that man, that Jesus felt love for people, which then caused him to sacrificially give to those people, and he gave to people to us. He gave love to you, and he gave love to me when we didn't deserve it. He didn't love us because we were worth loving or we'd been particularly nice that day to him. He loved us even on our worst day. So, so let's just kind of pull some things about from this. Let's try to put a few more handles on this. What, what, what does the love of Jesus look like? As we look from this verse, as we think about Jesus' life, here's seven different things. We'll throw them on the screen. Love, the pattern of love that we see from Jesus that I should emulate and you should emulate and we should emulate is this, that Jesus didn't just emotionally care. He also acted for the good of others. Jesus didn't just look at somebody and say, oh, they're going through a hard time or they have needs or they have wants. That was followed up by him acting for the good of others Many times, ultimately, the way Jesus acted out of love, Jesus' love cost him something. It wasn't necessarily about what he was going to get from it in the moment. It was what he was giving away in the moment. We already mentioned that Jesus' love was given to people who didn't deserve it. 
Jesus' love was given to people who said untrue things about him. Jesus' love was given to people who set him up and accused him of things that he didn't deserve. Kind of fourth point about Jesus' love, Jesus' love was given to hurting people. And I'll add something to that because it wasn't just hurting people that Jesus gave love. Jesus gave love to overly confident people who didn't think he even needed their love. In love, Jesus went, walked, stopped. It's amazing in the Gospels. I said this about a year and a half or whenever we're going through one of the Gospels. It's amazing how many times Jesus would be walking by someone and off in the distance would be someone hurting. And he would stop. He would stop. He would notice. He would engage. He would go to where they were. Jesus' love caused him to go to hurting people. And he was available when people came to him in love. Jesus gave up the right to always be right. I heard someone once share with me they had a spouse who passed away. Um, and, you know, they were just kind of reflecting on lessons. And they shared with me these words. They said, you know what, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't waste so much time always trying to be right. That stuck with me. Because as my wife could tell you, I like to be right. <laughs> and there's been at least one time I wasn't right. <clears throat> but, man, I think a lot of us, we, we just got to be right. We got to be right. We got to be validated. We got to have the person tell us we're right. And we cling to that. You know what this says about Jesus when he was being accused? At a certain point, he's like, I'm not going to defend myself in this moment. I'm going to take it. I'm not going to fight back. And Jesus' love ultimately led to forgiveness. Forgiveness. See, if you're trying to think about, okay, I need some handles <clears throat> to how to live like, love like Jesus. Not when you're sitting only on the blue chairs and you want to be a good Christian, but when you're on Wednesday, when whatever it is happens that makes you angry, that makes you mad, or you see someone hurting, or you hear of something, or there's this need that bubbles up, man, that can help frame the way we're supposed to live and we're supposed to act. That is the puzzle piece box that when God, through his spirit, through us spending time with him, puts us together, that, ta-da, I feel like Vanna White up here, ta-da, that is what you're supposed to look like. That is what I'm supposed to look like. That's what we're together supposed to look like as a church, as a corporate group to the people of Trumbull and Bridgeport and Monroe and Fairfield and Shelton and Sonia and Westport, and the list goes on, but we corporately reflect only what you as an individual reflect. There is no this blob of Calvary Church. The blob of Calvary Church is you, and it's me. And what we do as individuals is what reflects about the kingdom of God. And so it's not about how a bunch of people vaguely out there are doing as Christians. It's about how am I doing? There's a lot on that list I don't do well, but I want to do it better. And how are you doing? 
And in this cultural moment of 2020, when in the past 10 days, families are sending their kids back to school, moms and dads, grandmas, single moms, single dads, and, and, and there's all sorts of questions about what that looks like. And some parents are thrilled with it. Other parents have anxiety about it. Other parents are trying to figure out how are we going to do this when we both work? And there's all this swirl in a moment when there's swirl in families about how are we going to do this with kids in the moments when you and the people around you are still trying to adjust to a fall that is so different than anybody could imagine. And the disappointments about what isn't and the disappointments about what can't be in a moment when we live in such a divided moment politically, and like I say, we've always lived in divided moments politically, right? Politicians dueled back in the day. There's no politician yet threatening anybody to a duel that I've heard of, right? So, but man, when we live in a moment when it's, it is divided, when social media has all sorts of ideas, about COVID, and about politics, and about race, and about masks, and when you are one click away from putting something out there on social media that you'll never be able to get back, in a moment when people of different colors and different races have different experiences, in a moment when your family has probably spent a bunch of time together, and you may be getting sick of each other, and the patients may be wearing thin. In the midst of all of that, what an amazing opportunity you have and I have to stand out. What an this is an opportunity, man, to stand out, to make a difference, to be different by loving like Jesus loved. To do that. That makes a difference. That causes change. That puts a light on Jesus and that this book actually is changing our life. Man, what an opportunity for you and for I and for us to do that to the people around us. That's good. Because the stupid cliche that the light shines brightest in the dark is true. The light shines brightest in the dark. And man, we have a moment to shine. And we have a moment to shine not to be good people, Right? We have a moment to shine because that's what Jesus is inviting us to do and is telling us to do. So today, is there someone who's around you who is hurting, who's anxious, who's stressed, that not just with warm, fuzzy feelings, but with actions, you can go to where they are to serve them and to love them? This morning, are there people with different political views from you that make you so angry? And probably sometime this week, you're going to engage those people. What would it look like for you to be kind to them? Be kind instead of responding in anger. This week, are you willing to give up your right to be right in certain circumstances? And I'm not saying be wishy-washy, right? I'm not saying we abandon the gospel. You guys know what I'm saying. I'm saying you're willing to give up your right, and many times to be right in certain circumstances. Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to forgive? You know how many people probably in our church, man, we've been hurt. 
And, 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 and there's a bitterness in us towards the person who hurt us. And some of that hurt and some of that anger, you're not out of line for feeling it. But the problem is at a certain point, you need to release it. And you can't live your life holding a grudge. And for some of you, this unforgiveness, it's a weight that is anchoring you down and you're drowning in unforgiveness. And when I talk about unforgiveness, this is true. The person who wounded you, man, they're living their life. (laughs) They're not burdened. You're the one who's burdened. And are you willing to forgive because ultimately love leads to forgiveness? You want to know how to do this this week? Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's a grudge you need to start holding. Stop holding. <laughs> start holding a grudge. Put that on Facebook. That'll go far, right? Live a life that reflects God. Seriously. You do reflect something about God. You do. If people know you're a Christian, your life is reflecting something. What is it reflecting? And seriously, please, I'm inviting you to walk with me and walk with us and trying to live this life of love. You know, it's interesting, when we started Ephesians, um, this racism was banging at the door of the church of Ephesus. And it's really weird because it's hard to put a finger on what's going on. It certainly was creeping in and it was impacting because Paul says, you guys be careful of that. But also, in the beginning of the letter, one of the things he commends them from so it's, is their love. He says this to them uh, in verse 15 of Ephesians. We read it, we studied it a long time ago, and here's what it says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love, right? He begins this letter by saying, Church of Ephesus, I've heard of your love. You guys are rocking it, right? The church was doing it well. Paul, towards the second half of the letter, he says, man, keep loving, keep loving, keep loving. They, they started off doing it really well. But that's not how their story ended. The very thing they started to do okay and well at that were commended for, the very thing that he told them to keep doing isn't how their story ended. Because many years later, there's another guy who's in, a, on a, in, a, in arrest, on arrest, another dude who's under arrest. He's not Paul, he's another guy, and he's on an island on house arrest, and he's writing to different churches through the inspiration of God, and he's looking around years later after Paul's letter was written, and he's looking at the state of the churches in that empire. And he comes to the church of Ephesus. And he writes this to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He affirms them for one thing. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Right? In other words, he's like, man, you guys got your theology. You know your theology. You don't like all those sinners. You can't tolerate. And he's, he's affirming that. He says it's important to know theology. It's important to stand for truth. That is a good thing. And he says this. He says, I know you're enduring, you're doing good. And then verse 4, he says this, but I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. And there's a facet of that that's talking about their love for Jesus. And there's a facet of that that's talking about their love for other people. Man, you guys were doing great. Middle of the book, keep going. Years later, you guys know theology. You know the charts, which is good. But where's your love? Man, 
that's not what you want said about your life. That's not what I want said about my life. That's not what we want said about our church. What we want said is, man, they were people who they clung to this even when it didn't make sense and they lived their life through this and they knew this book and they were people who loved. Live a life that reflects God. And for the glory of God and for the reputation of Jesus, please also live a life of love. And man, I'm, I'm walking this path myself trying to do it so let me pray great opportunity great opportunity let's not miss it in this moment father thank you for these simple uh truth to say and sometimes in the midst of life with chaos and with stress it's just challenging to do and so father i'm grateful that we have your holy spirit who indwells us that is the one who shapes us and transforms us and empowers us to want to do and to do the very things you ask us to do and father i pray in my life and i pray in our lives that this week this week we will walk into a moment in a, a, a supernatural way. These words from Ephesians will come back to us and your spirit will grab us and help us to know to live a life to reflect you and live a life of love. We need the spirit's help to do this, Father, and we want to reflect you well. So we're grateful that you will help us and will you show us the opportunities of the people in our paths that you want us to love. We thank you, we trust you, and we give you worship for who you are and everything you've done. Amen.